Hey listeners, it's Andy, and I'm here to see if you've tried Audible yet. With an incredible selection of audiobooks, it is the perfect way to dive deeper into the stories upon which some of your favorite films are based. Audible members get a credit every month to redeem on any audiobook they like, plus access to a huge plus catalog of podcasts, originals, and more. Just imagine listening to the books that inspired movies like The Bourne Identity, Moneyball, or sci-fi classics like Dune. The best part? You can try Audible free for 30 days and get your first audiobook on them. It's a great way to experience storytelling while supporting this podcast. To get started, go to thenextreel.com slash audible or text thenextreel to 500-500. Listen to incredible audiobooks and support the show today. That's thenextreel.com slash audible. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. That's what they say. You know what? I've, I've heard people when they talk about it, they say, you know that Andy Nelson? He is a well-lozenged guy. <laughs> they do say that. They do. I've that, seen that. that. I've seen that. They've actually been prepping that for your headstone. I was going to say. Andy Nelson, he was well-lozenged. I hope so. I hope that really does. <laughs> <laughs> happy Thanksgiving, Andrew. Yes, happy Thanksgiving I, to you. I don't mean to date the show at all. Uh Dater. <laughs> I hardly knew her. <laughs> oh. What? Um, uh, but... And and you're you're so uh you know US centric also. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for welcoming the rest of the world. I know. The show. Thank you. Thank you, world. Especially because we're gonna because our, our cold open here is all about uh, our, our international participation. How excited we are about our international listeners. And I, yeah, but but the reason I'm saying this is because happy Thanksgiving. Because in the US, it is now Thanksgiving. And as you know, you probably know, even on international news, what Thanksgiving is, is we're giving thanks for uh all of the shopping that we're going to do on Friday. <laughs> this country has become nonsense. Are you not just I mean, I know you're a Black Friday guy, right? You know, I, I I have been a Black Friday guy in the past. Now I tend to be more a um, Black Friday uh, internet shopper. Yes, <laughs> a little easier. We still go out because it's it's a lot. Uh, it is nice to go out without the kids and and just get all of the Christmas shopping done for them. Yeah, you just leave them with a Santa at like Macy's. Yes, just leave just, the kids for a couple hours. <laughs> put them in line. You wait here, kids. If we'll Santa get, if it gets to you, just smile real pretty. Ask for a truck. <laughs> ho ho ho! I saw uh, saw catching fire today. Oh, uh, hopefully you didn't catch fire because that would be a bad experience. I'm not, I'm not sure that one worked. No. no. 
<laughs> I you know here's what's the interesting. Thing. You, what? <laughs> Please you, tell me. You, you you saw Catching Fire. Yeah. And I saw Frozen. So it's just very interesting <laughs> spectrum that we were covering there. That is very interesting. I like it. <laughs> I uh, I did see Catching Fire, and I know you're not a you weren't a huge fan of the first one, right? Of the Hunger Games. No. Yeah. Uh, I was. I thought this one was better than the Hunger Games. That's what everybody says. Yeah, this was this was a, a and and I would not say it was just a little better. Uh, I thought it was um, substantially better. Yeah. Um, and uh, I thought everybody did a great job. I particularly, uh, I just I bet Jennifer Lawrence. You know, I think she's done. I you know what I think it is. I know her better now, and uh, it makes me like her performance in this film better uh, after seeing her um, in so many other films between the last and this one. I don't think I knew her very well when I first saw Hunger Games. And winning awards. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, and particularly, you know, Silver Linings Playbook. And, you know, yeah. So it, it's just she's, she's I think, uh, quite a talent. Uh, so it was, it, it was a beautiful spectacle. I did see it in IMAX. And true to form, uh, that switch, uh, when she is raised up into the arena and the screen transitions uh, from... Uh, uh, Regular, to regular IMAX. to IMAX is uh, is stunning. If you're if you're aware of it, it is uh, it is a stunning transition. They they play that really well, uh, and it is a great moment in the film when that happens. You just you, so it's it, not it doesn't compare to like you know the Dark Knight where it's jumping back and forth throughout the film. I'm on the record. I didn't like that. That yeah, made I me, remember that made me crazy. And this was this was not. This was a really elegant transition, and the the entire balance of the film is in. Is in IMAX. There's no switching back and forth, and and they really picked the right segment too. Obviously, this is the big arena, um, uh, arena games, and uh, it's it's beautiful. It was a beautiful production. Hmm. So really, well, I think I, it's I think it's worth checking out. We were actually going to see it this past on, weekend on Thanksgiving. But we our, our babysitter got sick, so we couldn't uh, we couldn't go. It's always sunny. no this this past weekend. Okay. Not Thanksgiving weekend. Your babysitter is preemptively sick. Yes. Anyway, so I quite liked it, and uh, and I, uh, you know, it was fine. I took my daughter. We had a we had a great time. It was a you know, it was a father daughter date. So well, good. That kind of movie. Well, I took my daughter and my son and my wife to Frozen, and we had a wonderful time. We I caught your post on Facebook. You now. liked this Frozen. Yeah, it was. You know, I'm a big Disney fan. I uh, uh, particularly their animated films, and. Uh, this was the first film that they they had put out in uh, forever that I really didn't see. I saw the teaser trailer, and that's it. I didn't see any marketing of any kind for this other than that. And so I really had no idea what to expect with this film. And I went in kind of blind and had so much fun with it. I really enjoyed the characters. I enjoyed the way they shaped the story. And uh, the music was great. The uh, Just everything about it really worked well for me. So... Um, yeah, I, I had a great time with it. I think it's a, a great addition to the uh, the animated classics Disney library. Fantastic. Wasn't there some controversy yeah. about this movie, Some about how they, uh, some comment about how they draw female characters in this movie? Did you read about that? I didn't read about that, oh, but uh, they did. I did notice how large their eyes were. It it almost seemed more abnormally large than like anime eyes. Like they yeah. were really big eyes. <laughs> they were like 
notably like, they are like not aliens. missing a thing <laughs> they they must be related to uh the aliens that came down and stopped by area 51 before they went up to the snowy country <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh genetics Let's tell the people where we're from, should we? Yeah. I'm from Col- I'm from Colorado Springs. I originally grew up. <laughs> was born in Oklahoma, but I didn't spend a long time there. I'm a little too far back there, buddy. Oh, I thought this was a biopic. <laughs> this is the next real, the next real podcast. My name is Pete Wright, and that over there is Andy Nelson. And uh, we spoil movies, old movies. We'd like you to come listen to us uh, talk about movies. We appreciate your participation everywhere that there can be participation. And there are a lot of places you can participate. If you want to just check out the movies, head over to uh, our Flickchart list. Uh, just search for our, the next reel on Flickchart or on Letterboxd. And on Letterboxd, you can even see the movies that are coming up. So check out our watch list over on Letterboxd, uh, and you can do that. We invite you to subscribe to the show. Uh, probably the best way to listen to the show, subscribe to the show either in iTunes or Stitcher Smart Radio or your uh, your podcatcher of choice wherever fine podcatch podcasts are served you can find the next reel and uh, and and uh, don't miss a, an episode we appreciate you uh, hanging out and listening if you want to participate lots of ways to do that too head over to facebook.com slash the next reel you can join the conversation there or for you Google plus user uh, google.com slash plus the next reel podcast google.com slash plus the next real podcast and uh uh we are uh, we're, we're starting to hang out over that's still pretty new but we do invite you to do that i like it so much better than facebook i wish more people were like actively using it because it's just good <laughs> uh we're also on twitter obviously uh twitter.com slash the next real okay now for uh we just have a little bit of follow-up uh first of all on google plus we have a comment about somebody uh, from from a, a, a new friend of the show, Stephen, who writes uh, in a comment uh, on our Hobbit Desolation of Smaug. And I should say, the comment uh, on the uh, Desolation of Smaug was, and this was from the Next Real account, uh, each, day we, uh, each day we get closer to 48 frames of awesome per second. Here's a little playground to explore. And it's a Middle Earth, the Hobbit kind of chrome experiment. And the comment from Steven is, really? Some more speedy-up action and fake-looking CGI? Really surprised, since you all seem to have a problem with the first film. <laughs> and I would like to go on the record as saying, you are right. And this, <laughs> therein, herein lies the rub that we, all of us involved in the next reel, who are posting in multiple places as the next reel, are often not in agreement on things. And he who holds the pen makes the public <laughs> opinion. <laughs> and uh, in this case, some of us were a little bit jarred. Some of us, meaning me, I think, were pretty jarred by 48 frames per second. But I am, I am going into it with an open mind. But you are right, Stephen. You are absolutely right. I did have a problem with that first film. I think, I think it was a lot bit jarred. <laughs> it was very I, I will never see 48 frames per second again no ma'am i'm no gonna do sir. it i am totally gonna do it and uh, but i would i would say I, I guarantee you that the blog whisperer uh, uh the good and kindly steve sarmento uh is going to be seeing it 48 frames per second he'll take every extra frame you can get 
That's give right. Him, you, want, you don't want your frames? Give them to Steve. He'll take them. That's right. Uh, and, uh, and so that's the, uh, that's the story on, on that. But Stephen, thank you so much for listening and, and, uh, listening to this. I believe you are a new listener and you're very kind, uh, to, to write in and, and, uh, join the conversation. Yes. And he also, uh, kindly posted over on iTunes, which is fantastic. Although it's the UK iTunes and I had, uh, he, he sent a, a note on Facebook and, uh, I found out about this comment that he uh, posted there, and thanks to you, you figured out how to figure out how <laughs> how to find these posts on iTunes and other countries. But we now know how. So he writes, "It's not bad. It's really, really good," which is great. It's a heck of an opener. It no, is. it's not Just... bad. <laughs> <laughs> Just discovered this, and it's now my favorite podcast. Both hosts are witty and pleasant to listen to. Thank you very much. The films they cover are all pretty great. I'm slowly working my way through their back catalog and loving it. I'll be sad when I catch up. So and will we. Just start all over again. <laughs> <laughs> back to square one. Mm. Yes, Raiders. Uh, so thank you very much, Stephen. Do we have any other uh, any other uh, comments we need to follow up on there? Um, any I'm other, checking, anything more on but... your list? But before I uh, before I check, I also do want to uh, say that on top of that, and actually, no, there are no other comments too. Now, one other way to follow us is over on Instagram. You can catch up with Andy's fantastic hashtag Guess the Movie hashtag Pony Prize. Andy, tell the people about uh, give the people the update. Yeah, we you know over on Instagram every day we're posting an image from a movie, and uh, over the course of the week we'll end up posting seven ish images from a particular movie and you have the opportunity to guess what movie that is just follow us over on instagram.com slash the next reel and if you know what it is be the first one to say what it is and you will be entered to win our pony prize which we're compiling a pile of gifts and uh, one day far in the future we will send those to the winner hopefully it won't be that far in the future <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, one day. Uh, but it's this week, um, it was. Uh, it took a while. I really had to start putting up some what I think are pretty obvious images, i.e., I. actors' faces, iconic <laughs> <laughs> actors' faces, to get you people. Did. To you got out pretty what this close up? <laughs> I yes, I did. Well, you know, it is a Sergio Leone movie. It's pretty easy to get these incredible close-ups. And, you know, unfortunately, the joy of Instagram is it's, you know, a square. It's a one-by-one <laughs> one frame as opposed to a 2.35-to-one <laughs> giant widescreen uh, image. So, yeah, I have this, to cut quite a bit. This last image of <laughs> Henry Fonda. <laughs> I know. It looks, like his, it looks like I peeled the skin off his face. Yeah, right. Laid it up on the lens. <laughs> It, it just doesn't look that that appealing, but yes. But Robot Gremlin did finally get it, and um, also coincidentally, that is our friend, our new friend, Stephen Smart. So oh, fantastic! So way to go, Stephen! Congratulations, you are entered to win our pony prize. Oh, that's very good. Very good. I can't wait to see what they win. I can't either. I can't either. <sighs> and with that, let's talk trailers. <laughs> My trailer is uh, 
I, you know, I would not have expected me to choose this trailer this week, and probably <laughs> not for the reason you think I am. Uh, I am. I was. This is one of those things where you see a trailer for something, and it's just you can't stop looking at it. It's a. It's like a train wreck of a of a thing. Uh, I'm talking about Sabotage, the 2014 film from writer-director David Ayer. Ayer, Ayer, Ayer. Uh, David Ayer, you know David Ayer from such uh, action uh, tent poles as Training Day, Fast and the Furious, Harsh Crimes, End of Watch in 2012. Uh, Guy's been around. He knows how to do guns and cars. Really knows how to do guns and cars. He could make a, a, a fun uh, uh, kind of crime action romp. It's just that's what he does. And this one stars uh, a a great cast of people who look great as thugs and villains, right? Terrence Howard, and- Joe Manganiello, Josh Holloway, Sam Worthington. What is going on with Sam Worthington in this movie? I didn't even recognize him. Right, and totally out of context, Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> And it's this is the this that's what makes this trailer the high jump low ceiling experience that you're gonna have with this. It's like everything looks great in terms of a big testosterone heavy, uh, intense crime DEA crime thing, and then the governor comes in, and I'm just I'm just I fall right out of it. It's like I he <laughs> just doesn't it's he does not look like he fits in these movies anymore. He doesn't fit. Uh, so I, I have a real problem with it. it comes out a- April 11, 2014. I'm choosing this only to mark the calendar. This is going to be a terrible movie. And I think <laughs> it's going to be in, it's going to be in spite of people doing good work in a testosterone intense, heavy action film. I got to say, I was really impressed with the fact that everyone in the trailer, including Olivia Williams and uh, however you say her name, Marella Enos, yeah, are like completely just kicking butt in this thing. I know. It made me so excited to see them just going crazy in here. And yeah, I, I am very curious to see this. Uh, tell me you didn't get that same feeling. Tell me I, I'm not alone here. It's, you know, he just is a little, I, I don't want to say past his prime. I just, I, I, I think that, uh, I don't know, it just seems a little, it seemed a little weird to me. I, I don't know. I, I'm curious to see it, though. Mm. If it's going to be something that feels like it works or does it feel like, you know, somebody who's should have been retired. Here's the thing. <laughs> like, uh, you know, you it's hard not to compare uh, Schwarzenegger to Stallone, right? Right. Uh, and I... I, I think Stallone's latest efforts, I haven't seen a lot of them, right? I haven't seen a lot of his most recent stuff. But I have greater faith in them uh, because he always had more of—he he was always a better actor. Well, I don't know if that's— Yeah, no, he was—okay, seriously, if you're going to stack would... rank Schwarzenegger and Stallone? I have a hard time watching Stallone. I would much rather watch Schwarzenegger. I'm sorry. <laughs> Well, we're starting off on the wrong foot, you and me. Seriously. Oh, man. All right. That's where I stand on on this. He plays John Breacher Wharton in Sabotage 2014. April, mark your calendars, April 11, 2014, Schwarzenegger. There you go. It's just too bad because this is the rest of these, uh, the rest of, the, I mean, it's just a lot of butt kicking in this movie, and it looks like good, gritty butt kicking. It does. All right. Enough out of me. 
What's yours? I'll, I'll I see it. I'm, I'm really surprised. <laughs> I was actually surprised at your trailer. I know. I was too. Well, and and in the spirit of my trailer, I, I think the reason I picked this trailer is because of the commercial that was released uh, <laughs> earlier in the week of Jean-Claude Van Damme uh, doing the splits between the two semis. Uh, and <laughs> that because of that, I was inspired to pick this uh, trailer, which is Welcome to the Jungle, which... <laughs> looks really funny i I mean it you know you have a completely over-the-top jean-claude van damme as this uh, you know a a guy who runs a those tropical island company retreats to kind of bring the company closer together (laughs) like an extreme (laughs) ropes course extreme ropes course and everything goes wrong in it and it just looks really funny and i just the the scene when he kind of just (laughs) does his little karate move on the guy I mean, I just couldn't stop laughing. So that's why I picked it. And in honor of that, I actually am, just so you know, doing the splits between the the two office chairs for this entire episode. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. Well, you know, I I like to be a giver. I I don't want to just pick this and and not, uh, you know, put in the effort. Give back, right. That's right. Did did we talk about JCVD? Yeah. Long ago. Did we do a show on it? No, we didn't talk talk about it, but... You've mentioned it in the past. I, because you've, you've seen it, right? I have not. It's one of those ones Man, that kind of... that's the conversation? I, I've already I, been I, mad at you about this? Yes, you have. You JCVD know. And I said, oh, I'll go watch it. Two, and and you I, never did, because you don't care about things I say. I this was uh, Mabruk El-Mekri, Mer- uh, writer and director of JCVD 2008. This was John Claude Van Damme playing a fictionalized version of himself, and it was terrific. Yeah. Yeah, it's better now that I know how you feel about me. <laughs> All right. Well, the interesting thing about this one is it's Rob Meltzer is coming out. Uh, it's really kind of looks like one of his first big projects. I mean, he did a Jewish Christmas story back in 97 and then a couple like TV movies and a short called I Am Stamos. And uh, and, and this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the I have Stamos, a dark comedy about a character actor whose wish to be a leading man comes true when he magically begins to photograph as John Stamos, provoking the unholy wrath of John Stamos. That's fantastic. <laughs> what a fun idea for a little short film. So anyway, I, it looks fun. I think that it would be a fun watch. I don't know if it's a, a something I'd pay for in the theater, but it does look fun to watch. So that's Welcome to the Jungle, limited release in the U.S. February 7th. We're sort of both doing the geriatric action film. Geriatric action comedy, in your case. Yeah, I know. They're both kind of uh, making their little comebacks. That may have have to be a series next year. It's all thanks to the Expendables, yeah. Expendables in red. Keep elderly action stars working. That's right. (laughs) Shall Shall we talk about this movie tonight? Let's. I know you're thrilled to death. I'm not. I don't know if you notice. I've been stalling. Like anything I can do not to talk about this movie. <laughs> and that's the show, everybody. Tonight. Have a good night. <laughs> <laughs> We're continuing our series on foreign language films uh, with the uh, uh, oddly foreign uh, <laughs> <laughs> Diving Bell and the Butterfly 2007, directed by Julian Schnabel, uh, written by Ronald Harwood. Uh, and or the based on the book, the original, uh, the memoir by Jean Dominique Bobby, and um, all right, go ahead. 
I can't. I mean, and I don't even know what to. I can't I even talk about. I love this movie so much, yeah. and I I find it so interesting that you find it uh, like on the level of Schindler's List. I can't. I can watch this once because it's great, but after that, I never want to see it again. I totally don't feel that when I watch this movie. This movie to me is such an inspiration and an uplifting film, and it gives me so much, uh, yeah, just joy about life and and everything else. I, I, I find this an amazing uh, experience. And every time I've watched it, it really uh, just shines through as this story that is celebrating life in, in just coming through from one of the most horrible situations a person can be put into. And I, I think I first saw this film, I missed it in the theaters, and I think I ended up watching it. It's, it got nominated for a few Oscars. And it was right around the time when, I believe it was when the Oscars were being announced, and Sean Young, uh, the <laughs> ever so uh, just laughable Sean Young, uh, mocked Julian Schnabel after he was nominated for Best Director. And she's just like, who's that? <laughs> Do you remember that? Do you yes. remember like the I black... had totally <laughs> forgotten that. <laughs> and uh... she just got the wrath of everybody and I think essentially signed her own contract to officially leave Hollywood and not be welcomed back after that moment. Wow. Yeah, that was this film. Good old uh, Julian, who who was nominated for Best Director for this film, although the film wasn't. It's one of those weird films because it's foreign language, but because one of the companies producing it was an American company, it's not eligible for Best Foreign Language Film. And because it's foreign language... People don't really want to put it in as as best picture because it's a little you know yeah. it it happens but it's it's not that frequent and well, so yeah well I mean, we'll we'll talk more about the kind of the genetic history of this film it's a it it's kind of interesting how it how it came to be and and uh, uh, I you know I <laughs> I think this film really capitalizes one of my great fears in just life and and that is you know this condition known as locked in syndrome and and that is uh just this this uh, sense of horrible claustrophobia that I get this nightmarish sort of claustrophobia this is a deeply personal section of the show it's therapy uh, mm-hmm. and I that is a great fear of mine and so this film is all about that right yeah and I, uh, I think you are absolutely right. And on watching the film again, I and I put it off to the very last minute. I, like, I just finished watching the film like twenty minutes ago. <laughs> uh, and um, I, you know, it, watching it again, I, I see what you mean, and I think I was able uh, on this. And this is only the second time that I've watched it all the way through. Obviously, um, I, I was able to kind of take a step back and see the the overall structure of the film and the the, the just the way each act kind of progresses, uh, both visually uh, and and dramatically structurally in terms of us of how we get to know, um, uh, you know, Mister Bubby, uh, which is really quite magical. And I, I think you're I think you're right that that there is kind of an uplifting sense once you get past the. Uh, uh, just the horror of the first third of the film, um, you know, for me. Uh, I, I think it is a gorgeous story. I think it's a, it is a, a beautiful story and, and a, a story of such incredible uh, commitment. Like, it just that, that sort of, at its, its purest, sort of most raw human commitment um, to, to one another uh, that, that I find uh, deeply rewarding kind of in that middle section of the film when, when you know, you see 
you know, where, where so many of these characters could just give up. Uh, and, and yet they, they keep, they keep coming back and they keep coming back to help and to, to, to rebuild, uh, this person who can't rebuild on his own. So I, I think it is, I think it's deeply magical. I think it is, um, uh, the cinematography of this really is a standout. Um, it, it, the, the way it was shot, the sort of, um, the, the imposed limitations uh, on the the screen, I think, really uh, make this film shine. The way it, it sort of challenges you to be in this space, as long as it challenges you to be in this space, is is risky and rewarding in the same vein. And I I I, I do I I deeply love it. I I but but I can't watch it you know that much. Yeah. So no, I hear you. It it does. It 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 pushes the audience to um the limits of testing their their uh comfortableness with being in this situation because it does put you first person you are for you know essentially as you're watching this film you are Jean Doe this character uh watching as he is locked in and, and as he is basically just laying there he can only move his eye you are you know he can communicate with his eye by blinking and he can look around and that's the only part of his body that's really functioning. Everything else is just doesn't work. He has to, uh, you know, I you know, he has to be fed with tubes. He has to breathe with a, a tube, you know, just everything is all, uh, machinery because he just is completely paralyzed except for his eye and the brilliance of putting the camera into his head and you're hearing his thoughts and you're seeing everything he sees and the people that you're looking at don't hear any of these thoughts. I mean, it, it was really a, an ingenious way to make a film. And the fact that you don't even step out of that first-person POV for, like, the first 15 to 20 minutes, I mean, that really does put you to the test of, of getting a sense as to what this claustrophobia is like, wanting to say something and nobody can hear you. It's, I mean, it's frightening. It And, you know, it certainly can feed on those fears of being stuck in a place I, I can see why you would be you know terrified of this it's 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 nightmarish being stuck in a situation where you are trying to get something across to people and no one can hear you it it is and and i, I i'm not sure where i where to to start on this because i think all these elements one of the the, the things that are that i find so compelling about this film is the way uh, the dramatic elements and the visual elements tie together so perfectly, right? I mean, so much of where, as you say, the camera is placed and where we are as represented by the the lens um, is uh, directly related to um, to this character's awakening. And and I find that uh, I, I found that sort of the most compelling lesson of this film this time around that that what we learn in through flashback, particularly through the the second and third acts of the film, what we learn about Jean Dominique Bobby is uh, that he was, you know, he was a player. He was the uh, former editor, or publisher of of French L uh, magazine, and um, you know, we learn early on that he'd had a stroke. They sort of give away the punchline in the first ten minutes. He well, a, uh, yeah, I mean, you wake up, <laughs> you wake up, and you're literally. in his head. Yeah, you, the movie starts uh, with him waking up. Right. To, He's like, already locked happened. in. Yeah, he like he has no idea. Like he he doesn't even remember. And and it and that's why I thought it was interesting. Is it waits until the end of the film to reveal the actual moment because he doesn't remember that. Yeah, 
and and so our experience starts out very claustrophobic. You know, we start out with him in his head, right? Uh, and as the film moves forward through the second and third act, we bec- we we move outside of his body, mm-hmm. uh, and we meet him in the second act in particular. After that first sort of twenty five minutes, we meet him, his physical self, right? We we start in his head, his cerebral self, and we meet his physical self when we see kind of what his what his body looks like as he's being wheeled down the the um, you know down the hallway and he sees the first reflections of himself and and at, at that point you know we as as our spatial awareness begins to grow his psychological awareness begins to grow and he starts we start seeing him put together these pieces of of you know what mattered in his old life through flashback by what uh, ends up mattering to him uh, in his in his you know current present. Uh, based on the people who come to him and who come to be a part of his life and the stories that that he surrounds himself uh, by, and I found that um, his journey of of broadening awareness, even as his world became so small, uh, I, I found that really a, a powerful sort of psychovisual metaphor. It works uh, very effectively the way that it plays. I mean, I agree with you. It's um, it, it, it's such a it, it's a tricky story to to adapt. I mean, I, I think you have to give. I mean, I haven't read the book. I don't know if you've read the book or not. Uh, I'm guessing not, considering your your aversion to the story. No, I bought the book and then burned it. <laughs> Just as a symbol, symbolic statement of my discomfort. <laughs> But um, my understanding is Ronald Harwood, when um, after uh, Kathleen Kennedy, one of the producers, when uh, she optioned it and asked Ronald Harwood, and I believe he was just coming off of his Oscar win for The Pianist, um, she asked him to adapt it. And he was looking at it and he spent a while trying to figure out how to adapt this. And he, he tried a few different versions he couldn't figure it out, and he's, he was at a point where he was like ready to give her her money back and say, I cannot, for the life of me, figure out how to adapt this. It's about a guy who's laying there. He cannot move. There's nothing about him that is mobile in any way. And then all of a sudden it struck him to go into that, uh, you know, the inside. And uh, the way that you were able to play with imagination and memory and as the film progresses, you know, and you start seeing that blend of his real world, his imagined world, and his memory, because that's really the the world that he's he can play in, and that paired with that personal connection that we have with all of these people in his life, uh, as they come and address the camera as they're speaking to him, whether it's his, uh, the you know, as he says, the mother of his children, or you know, his dear friends, or you know, just the nurses, uh, the doctors, all these people, you've get that incredibly intimate relationship that, I mean, it, it almost is uncomfortable a little bit. You, you feel, I, I don't know, for me, it heightens the sense of emotion in everything because I feel so much more connected to, to everyone in those moments. Well, and, and I absolutely agree. And, and what I find is so, uh, there's some wonderful humor and, and deep sadness in, in the way people uh, connect with him. Uh, in this space, and the the discomfort with which people sort of approach this, you know, how do you talk to somebody like this in this state? Uh, and, you know, and it starts uh, with his friend that the they swapped the the seats on the plane, and the friend was you know t- 
taken captive, taken hostage uh, in, what was it, Beirut? Beirut, yeah. There's a awkward friendship yeah very awkward friendship you swap you know do me a favor swap out this uh the seat so i can take your flight and then the flight gets hijacked and he ends up being uh, you know taken hostage and uh so he comes and tells this story uh, about how he was kept kept hostage uh to this guy who is now sort of hostage in his own body right and and that doesn't stop you know i actually i think the first one is the doctor who sews his eyelid shut right who's telling him this story about how he was on vacation and and right. and he's talking about how you know um I don't remember the the specific story all of a sudden, but it was, you know, it was essentially that same thing, how hard things are when, you know, for him. And then we have how hard it is for the for for the guy who was held hostage. And then it it just sort of the the that narrative of of discomfort, it it really is is comes to a climax with uh, Max von Sydow, who plays his father, um, you know, calling to talk about how uh, what an interesting parallel it is, you know, using this as a way to avoid talking about this other sort of uncomfortable, um, how uncomfortable it is being uh, the father of somebody you can't really talk to and being at right. the end of his own life. Like, there, the, uh, he is just such a phenomenal uh, portrayal of, of this character, but he uses this, you know, isn't it interesting how, what a parallel path we're on. You're trapped inside your own body and i can't leave my apartment <laughs> we're <Yeah>. so similar <laughs> uh it's just there is such uh and, and, and to the credit of matthew malrick um there is such uh you know you really read that grief in his in his eye uh as he's listening to his father over the phone tell the story um you know that that you read that subtext so clearly it's the, it's one of the most beautiful scenes in the film, and it's it's so powerful. I, I mean, I got to give Matthew just so much credit because, you know, I was thinking about this. Uh, you know, I, I heard him talking about acting in this film, and he said, you know, it's it's really hard acting when you cannot move a single muscle. I mean, he would basically have to lay there, and he would like tense up his whole body, and he he wouldn't move anything. And one eye had a patch over it, and then his lip was like glued open a little bit, yeah. and his he had like a, a thing in his cheek and something in his nose, and he had a special contact in his good eye, his quote good eye, uh, that made it look all bloodshot and everything. And and then he would have to lay there and be completely still and not move anything except for his eye, and to act that way where you cannot do anything. I mean, not even a, a little twitch or anything and be completely still and uh, react the way he does to that phone call. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's amazing uh, and powerful and uh, it does really show through. It really rings the emotion through that, you know, this is, I could totally read all of the, the sub subtext going on in that conversation and, and just the emotion as he's, as his one eye is reacting to that phone call. Absolutely. It's powerful. It was, it's extremely powerful. And I think that, you know, the, the intensity that he brings to that role, particularly as you, as the, the, uh, frequency of flashbacks begins to, you know, it really increases in this third act as you get to know more and more about Bobby and his life. And, um, and, and you're, you start pairing the, the sort of, uh, the important elements again of his prior life uh, with uh, his closer to sort of end of life handling as a as uh, you know as he is locked in and um, you know he reaches the end of his um, you know the end of the book 
process, you know, the end of writing this book. And, and you know, we should talk about this. This is the story, if we haven't made it clear, of him writing his memoir through eye blinks. Yeah. And I mean, uh, it's mind-boggling it, just it hearing is someone say that. Mind-boggling. So this is the, the story of, of working with his uh, speech-language therapist, uh, you know, going through the, uh, the French uh, frequency alphabet and building each word letter by letter. And, and uh, uh, my understanding is it, it took uh, roughly 200,000 blinks and <laughs> uh, about two minutes to build each word as he wrote his novel or his memoir through the through the uh, the hand of his his translator his interlocutor uh and uh, it was it it is amazing to and and uh, you know to to kind of wrap that up he ends up dying you know 3 days after the book is published um uh and uh you know that that sort of ends his journey uh, and, and it's just it ends up being a that the intensity of the thing, the intensity that he brings to his end of life experience, um, as as he is read to, uh, uh, you know, by his by you know his loved ones and and his new sort of deepest relationship, um, and as the 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 scene just gets increasingly white as he passes, um, it, it it's as. As beautiful and uncomfortable as I think the opening of the scene is, I mean, it's a very sort of cyclical path uh, that he is on, and and uh, uh, the sort of birth to death to birth um, uh, cycle uh, yeah. is is very present in this film. It's beautiful, and and then it goes to the glaciers, which is really interesting. They come in uh, partway through the film. You see all these amazing shots of yeah. of just these weirdly very dirty glaciers falling into very dirty water. Uh, but it's just interesting the way the ice splits and falls in, and then at the end, it's all played in reverse, and you see these these giant you know blocks of ice like almost just leaping out of the water and attaching themselves to the uh, to the glaciers and uh, and to the icebergs. And it's funny because Schnabel actually said. He's unsure what the glaciers actually mean, but he, but to him, it felt like the key to the film. There's something about that being reconnected to things at the end that he felt really symbolized kind of, you know, Jean Doe's re- rebirth into the world. You know, he, he's kind of escaped this diving bell that he was in. You know, his butterfly was his imagination and his memory. And now through being able to write this book, he was able to kind of reconnect himself back into the world that he was so abruptly broken off from. That's so. interesting. I, you know, I, uh, I, I'm sure deep down I probably thought of that, but I certainly didn't think of it when I was looking at it. Yeah. Isn't that funny? That is funny. I'm laughing on the inside. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so uh, we've talked about Matthew Amalric. Uh, the uh, w- wow, you know, the other performances. His his um, essentially his physical therapist, his his SLP, uh, his doctor, and his uh, his writer, his translator. Right. Yeah. Uh, all his- wonderful performances. Yeah, he's and his and, and you know <laughs> the mother of his children. Right, right, right. Um, Emmanuel, you know, Celine, Emmanuel Seigne, uh, Roman Polanski's wife. Who uh, you know, I she, for some reason there's something about her that I find so beautiful in this film, and it's the same beauty that um, 
in uh, the in um, uh, the Ninth Gate that Roman Polanski directed back in '99 that terrified me. <laughs> like she she played that so nicely, uh, you know, in that film and and her beauty as you know I, I don't know I can't remember she's basically like the form of Satan walking the earth or something like that. Yeah, there was something so much scarier about her in that film, and in this film, I found that just so much more attractive. And um, I really like her in this film, and my heart goes just totally goes out to her in this film, and the situation with her and the kids and him. Um, interestingly, as kind of a, a weird side note, the girlfriend, oddly, is uh, that he left this uh, the mother of his children who he never actually married, which I guess was why we call her that. Um, she has a much bigger part in the film, and the girlfriend that he left her for is completely non-existent in the film, except for toward the end. You know, we kind of see her in a flashback. But in in reality, the mother of his children hardly ever came to visit, and it was the girlfriend that was the one who was always at the hospital and always... Um, sitting with him and was there, you know, through his death. And the, I guess the reason that the script ended up getting kind of written this way and kind of swapped was because his story rights and everything after he died went to his children. And I don't fully oh. understand the, the reasoning there, but it sounds like, I don't know, out of respect for the children or something like that, they kind of changed the story a little bit and made it so the mother was kind of the more, uh, you know, the one connected to him still, and the girlfriend was just more non-existent. Well, and there was that 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 sort of just shattering sequence uh, oh, on yeah. where, where the mother of his children is translating, uh, is interpreting a conversation uh, between Mr. Bobby and the girlfriend over the phone. Yeah, uh, right. and, translating and I, his blinks to to say what he's saying to right. say what he's saying, and and she is is you know the girlfriend is over the phone trying to say, uh, you know I I I love you and I miss you and and I I would be there but I couldn't be there you know again in the context of the film, uh, and the 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 wife ha or the mother has to sit there and just and listen to this and eventually has to st she steps out of the room but you know I bring up that sequence because I think it it. Um, it captures what you're talking about, that sort of the gift of Emmanuel Seigny yeah. of, of being sort of beautiful and shattered yeah. uh, in, in a, uh, just a, an incredibly powerful uh, fashion in, this, in that sequence in particular. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and you can still see like there's, there's jealousy in there, there's anger, and just all yeah. of that emotion. She plays so well. Yeah, yeah. But... Uh, yeah, but interestingly, the this the girlfriend actually uh, after I think a year after the movie came out, she ended up releasing her own book, kind of because I, <laughs> there were quite a few people in, in Bobby's life who were kind of offended with the film the way that they portrayed her. So she now has her own book. Um, we can put a link to that in the show notes as well as his book, just in case people are interested. But it's called the uh, let's see, La First Veuve. I don't know my French very well, but something like that. At, which I guess is the false widow. And oh. so that, that is her version of this story. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm, I think it's only in French right now. I don't think it has had a translation. So if you speak French and read French and you're interested, we'll have a link in the show notes for that too. The false widow. Mm -hmm. 
But I have to say my favorite of all the women in this is is uh, the nurse, Henriette, or Henrietta, mm-hmm. Marie-José Cross, uh, who I just totally fall in love with every time I watch this film. She's just, just had, like the way she smiles and the way, the way she speaks to him, I just, I really love it. Yeah, she's, uh, <laughs> it, it's a pretty special relationship that, that I think they, they develop. And, and the way she sort of develops that protective kind of nature um, uh, with him is, is, and around him is, is pretty special. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's, it's, and, it's, and she's just mesmerizing. Yes. Like the, the the way, and I think this is another way. They just the, the uh, uh, another sort of point on the cinematography, and we should just say uh, this is um, Janusz Kaminski, mm-hmm. um, who we've talked about before uh, in some capacity. What was it? Come on, bring it back. Well, you keep talking. I'll tell you in a minute. All right, all right. Uh, because it was Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull was, I think, the first time. Oh we yeah. Talked about it. Um, it was, uh, in any case, he's, uh, what I think is uh, really powerful about uh, this, um, you know, the first act of the film and the way the camera is, is in his head, um, it, it puts uh, such focus on, or, or I think it sets you at attention, let's say that. I found myself sitting at attention uh, for eyes, Right, yeah. because you have to work to see somebody's face, because they don't move the camera uh, since you know he can't move. Right, you're in his head; he can't move his eyes, and so you are. You know, people are moving in and out of frame as they're getting used to you know moving in to look at his eyes. But that means when she moves in to say, "Can you see me?" She's kind of leaning down, um, her head's tilted down, her eyes are tilted up. It's that it's it's that beauty shot, uh, the focus of on her eyeballs uh, right. and and it is it's just a uh, one of those stunning um, images uh, yeah. and you know the same for a, any of these characters but they really make a focus of capturing uh, kind of that relationship and there's some great humor uh, around you know his inner voice uh, talking about what it's like to be surrounded by these women uh, who keep leaning in and leaning over him and he can't move, you know, he can't do anything. And, the, you know, when the physical therapist is teaching him how to um, how to use his tongue, how to swallow, <laughs> she, she's doing this demonstration, this sort of, uh, you know, in, in any other sort of non-physical therapies, you know, circumstance would be this lusty tongue move. Uh, right. and And he's having to watch this. And completely trapped and can't move. It is. It's uh, a really sort of beautiful, sexy kind of torture. It is. Um, so it's it's a great and and it adds adds a little bit of levity to what is otherwise a um, you know a dark sequence. Well, I think it speaks to Bobby's sense of humor, at least yeah. the way that is portrayed in the film. I, right. I think it acknowledged that you know he he. Even though he was stuck in this situation, he still was able to laugh at things and laugh at his situation and laugh at, you know, just things that were going on around him. Right, right. So um, before we move on, I do want to, since you were talking specifically about the camera, two things that I wanted to bring up about that, because I do find it very uh, fascinating the way that they shot this film. One because of this first person nature of it, I mean, it's essentially the cameraman lying there and everybody is acting into the lens as if it is uh, Jean Doe 
And so they're all, they have no benefit of actually seeing an actor laying there. I guess on the camera, they actually put a small little kind of uh, model of just the center of his face. So they had something to reference as they were looking at him. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I mean, you know, the character is a person who can't move. So it's not like they have to worry about reactions from this person. But they're essentially just lay, just acting with a camera lens. And so I find that even more um, powerful when I see these actors giving amazing performances that when you think about it, it's really just them reacting uh, or coming up with these emotional moments with a camera lens and, and a cameraman who's just laying there in the bed. And I find that really stunning. And then what they did is they had uh, Matthew. He was actually there the whole time they were filming this. He was offset in a box with a little video assist monitor, basically watching what was being filmed. And Schnabel basically had him wired to record all of his audio. And then he just let uh, Matthew say whatever he wanted to say, kind of just react to, I mean, there was some scripted stuff, but also ad-libbing whatever lines he felt, you know, kind of came naturally to him. And the actors couldn't hear that, but it was just him speaking because that's essentially what locked-in syndrome is. So he really, in a way, was acting as if he was in locked-in syndrome in a box offset where no one could hear him. <laughs> that's horrible. <laughs> I know. That I know. Is such, that's, that's your craft, people. That's, <laughs> that's, why, that's why they are actors. That is beautiful. I know. It's interesting. The other interesting thing is uh, Janusz Kaminski and Schnabel decided for a lot of this because of the way when your eyes are moving around and your eye kind of focuses on different things they opted to use a tilt shift lens Mm -hmm. which is you know kind of a special lens that allows you to focus on just a very particular part of the frame the frame and they would they would move it as they were filming and and so the focus is constantly shifting and moving from one thing to another and and the way that things move and and then as the camera is moving it really reacts as if it's an actual eye kind of looking around and it's just another element that they brought into the cinematography of this that i think really lent itself to creating a much more claustrophobic feel to the story that's absolutely true have you ever shot with a tilt shift lens I haven't. I haven't. I am curious to, to try it one of these days, but I've never gotten the opportunity. It's they're 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 great. Uh, they're a great tool, but mostly used for you know architecturally uh, architectural photography. They're really designed for you know um, to to realign planes. Right. Uh, and so to use a, a tilt shift lens in this capacity, it's kind of you know there are companies that make effectively tilt shift you know easy through like Lens Baby is a great. Um, sort of adapter that you can add to or lenses you can add to your to your camera to to um give these great sort of uh effects but to to end up using a, a tilt shift for these really claustrophobic sequences or i should say for these really close-up sequences adds to that sort of claustrophobia that that i think is um it's a really unique look um i i would not have thought of that I, I, I think it's it speaks to the the unique uh, perspective that Schnabel brings to the filmmaking. I mean, he's an artist. He came in to this project as an artist first. I mean, he had done a couple other films before this. I think it was uh, Basquiat and Before Night Falls mm-hmm. were his his two prior films, and all you know definitely 
seemed to have stood up to uh, you know the critics and and people really found great art in these films but he is an artist he's a painter first and that's where he kind of came into being and i think he brings to it a lot of that avant-garde sensibility uh, that sense of uh letting the um even in the camera moves letting the emotion and intuition control things rather than logic all the time in in just all the decisions that are made whether it's camera moves whether it's the way an actor is portrayed whether it's the way that he's cutting and the way just using um, letting Janusz go and use these in-camera superimpositions or whatever it is to help tell the story. It's, it's almost like expressionist work, and I love that about the, the way this film feels when I watch it. And yet, right, uh, because, uh, you know, it, it, is, it is absolutely approachable. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I'm like yeah, that, that is like a really watching... important distinction. Like this is yeah, this is not a this is a challenging film, but it's challenging because of the approach to the subject matter. Yeah, it and, doesn't feel like we're watching a, a Stan Brackage exactly. you know, Dog Star Man or something right. that is is much more challenging to watch and you really have to be in the right space to watch it. Right, right. No, and I I can you know, I I would suggest that it as you say it's schnabel's um it, it's schnabel's natural sort of visual uh instinct that that makes this such a unique um, picture but it's it's approachable it's not standoffish it's not you know you don't walk out of this thing saying i have no idea what that meant right uh, it is it's just beautiful and difficult uh it's a difficult story uh told in a really beautiful visual fashion right absolutely uh, so th- this film, it's, I found this really interesting because it's, you know, it's another one where Max von Sydow is, you know, we practically know we have a von Sydow series. I know we should have. <laughs> uh, and uh, it, it's another one with a bilingual cast. Um, it was originally, uh, it, it's it was obviously shot in France. Um Shot on location and on all location. the actual locations where things took place. Right. Though it was originally supposed to be produced by Universal Studios, American company, obviously. Uh, it was uh, originally, it's just verified, originally uh, Bobby was supposed to be played by Johnny Depp. I, I believe that uh, is the story, yeah. That's... Uh... I, I, you know, I love... Uh, American films. I, I sometimes, I mean, there are times when there's a great American film made that takes place in another country where they don't speak English, but it's made in English. Uh, you know, speaking mentioning Schindler's list earlier, right? You know, that's, it's an amazing film. Uh, this is a film. I, I don't know. I, I think you could have done it all in English, but I don't know. Watching the French version is like, why would they have ever thought of doing this in English? It that's just doesn't exactly make sense. Exactly it. That was exactly yeah. my point. Like, why yeah. would this have ever gone that way? And so when universal stepped out, um, you know, likely uh, the the best outcome for this film was to to return to its roots. Though what I found interesting was that um, you know that the intention Schnabel's intention and Schnabel is is not a French director, right? Um, you know, he's, he's right. He's from Brooklyn. He's from Brooklyn, <laughs> right? And and uh, you know, uh, apparently he learned a bunch of French to to direct this film, but. Uh, but he is married to uh, a French woman who played the uh, the 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 physical therapist. Right, right. Um, that, very good point. So he's 
he uh, really, I think, brought an interesting sensibility to this film. But it is it is a essentially a French movie directed by an American, written by a, uh, a South African. Right. <laughs> uh, a, this is a this is a global film if there ever was one, and uh, you know I think the uh, but it ended up being produced by uh, let's see Pathé and or uh, Canal and Kennedy Marshall mm-hmm. um, and France Three. Yeah, it's uh, so it's a uh, it ends up being um, probably best that Universal didn't get their big mitts into it. Yeah, I, I, that whole thing. It's like one of those moments where it's like. I'm glad that things went the way it did. It it obviously fell into all the right hands to get made. Yeah. I'm sure there could have been a French director and a, a French company who made this, and it would have been a great film also. But there's something about the artistry that Schnabel or sorry Schnabel brought to the film that I don't know. I I think that that sense of uh, just the the physicality of just all of the moments throughout the film. I I just feel. 100% connected to it every time I watch it. And I don't think anyone else would have been able to tell it the right way. I think this is the, the way it needed to be told. And I completely love it. Do you, uh, you listen to uh, Studio Q? I don't. <sighs> you must. With Gian Gomeshi? Nope. He's my favorite. Uh, it's on the afternoons NPR here from 2 to 3. And uh, so Gian Gomeshi has is a he's in Canada. He's up in I think Toronto, and and um, uh, he's got the, he's just he's one of the he's an aspirational interviewer and talk radio up there, and and has this you know global show, and he has his YouTube channel with all of these like sixteen hundred of his hour long interviews, uh, video interviews up on his YouTube channel, and a great one. The reason I bring this up is a great one. You get 55 minutes with uh, Gian Gomeshi and Julian Schnabel. Uh, and we'll put links to that in the show, note, show notes. If you want to get to know uh, director Schnabel a little bit better, this is a fantastic interview uh, to watch. Nice. Yeah. Schnabel is an interesting person to listen to. He's a very passionate person. He he clearly is somebody who's connected to his emotions. He understands uh, just the, the the amazing stuff that can be done with art. And uh, you know, I think I, I have a, a very deep respect for him. He, I mean, you know, he freaking painted one of my favorite Red Hot Chili Peppers album covers. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did not know this. Which one did he do? Uh, of course, now that you say that, I can't remember the name of it, but it's, uh, there it is. It's the, uh, uh gosh, what is Come the name on. of the album? Break it down. I'll get back to you on that. Oh, you're killing me. All right. It uh, doesn't have the album name on it. It just has Red Hot Chili Peppers. I can't remember the name of the album. All right. I know. I'm terrible. Loser. I am. Let's Big, we... fat, loser. Maybe that was the name of the album. How how this movie uh, how to do? Do you get to, did you get numbers on this one? Well, luckily because it is tied into an American company, I did get the numbers for this film. Um, it did pretty well for itself. This uh, it was made back in two thousand seven. It had a production budget of about fourteen million. Domestically, they only gave it three million for uh, the prints and advertising, so not a lot of money to let people in the U.S. know about it. Uh, so total, I, I couldn't find anything internationally, but total I have is $17 million. And then, uh, you know, this thing made domestically only about $6 million, 
Um, internationally, it, it fared a lot better, almost 17 million domestically. So total, and once all the numbers are adjusted, it made about uh, adjusted total gross uh, 25 million, just over 25 million. So you know, it made its money back. Still, uh, it's 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 in the black, and it's it's not one of our big money makers, but you know, it's in there. It's number 72 on our list. Hmm. All right. Yeah. Not, right. not too bad. Not, not too, too bad. bad. Not too yeah. bad. Yeah. Uh, what else do you have to add before we rank this thing? Um, just a couple things. Um, I wanted to run through the uh, the Caesar Awards, the the Oscars for France, the uh, awards of the 33rd Caesar Awards. This film was nominated for seven of them, and it took home. Uh, let's see, it was nominated for uh, Best Actor. Best Cinematography, Best Director, Best Picture, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Sound, and Best Editing. It ended up winning for Best Actor, Matthew Amoric, and it, uh, let's see if it won for anything else. It did not win for Cinematography or Director or Picture or Writing or Sound, uh, but it did win for Best Editing, Juliet Welfling. That's something else. The, the editing of this film, the way that it is cutting back and forth, I think is stellar. In fact, even like the way that, you know, when we're in the first person POV and we see the camera, it's it's like it's blinking, like we're seeing his eye blinks. Right. Sometimes those would be edited eye blinks where they would actually just put a quick little dissolve in, like a, a two or three frame dissolve. Sometimes it was the assistant cameraman with his two fingers just kind of doing a scissor motion in front of the camera. I mean, it's just amazing the sorts of techniques that they ended up using in this film. I love the creativity and the ingenuity that they uh, did and just played with when they made this film. It's just fantastic. So Very that's... Clever. That's, uh, yeah, so best editing, I totally see why it would be uh, winning for that. And it was nominated for four Oscars. I already mentioned uh, best picture here, or sorry, best uh, director here, and then best adapted screenplay, best cinematography, and best editing. But it didn't win any, alas. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to say. We, should, music we is, should just add really quickly, though, it won a lot of other awards around the world. Like it, it won, it yeah. won it, what, you know, it won Best Director in the Technical Grand Cup Prize at the 60th Cannes Film Festival. Right. Uh, it, I mean, it, it it did it it earned a lot of of uh, uh, mojo around the world. Yeah, it ex it did receive. You're right. It, it got a lot of accolades all around the world, and it was on many people's top ten lists right. of the year. Right. Um, and, and you know, rightfully so. I think this is one of the most artful films to come out of uh, you know out of cinema in a while, and and I, you know, it's a great film. Um, the last note that I had was uh, the music in this film, aside from a lot of great songs in the film, and I think that's Schnabel just bringing great choices to the film, but uh, Paul Cantillon did the music for the film. Beautiful music all through the film. The interesting thing about uh, Cantillon is that he actually... Um, something happened to him. Uh, he was like a violin uh, prodigy as a child. And he actually played at uh, when he was 13 years old. He was just like this big child uh, you know, prodigy. Something happened. He had a bicycle accident and left him in a coma. When he came out of the coma a month later, he had forgotten everything. He had to relearn all of his music and start all over again. And... Uh, 
it's so he found a connection to this story. And so he, he contacted Schnabel's like, I really have to do this film. I, I feel this connection with him. And, uh, and he told him his story and, and Schnabel thought that it, would, uh, it, it ended up, you know, feeling that it was going to work right for the film. And, uh, and so I just found that really interesting. And I think the music does have this, um, this kind of lushness to it. And it's almost like this classical sense that, uh, that flows throughout the film. But I, I, I don't know. It's just this, this very melodic tone. And I, I don't know. I really like the music in this film. I do too, and I think it's it, it works well with the soundtrack. The score works really well with the soundtrack, particularly the the sequence I think is most powerful is that transition while he is having the stroke in the last ten minutes of the film. Oh yeah, uh, as he's he's in the car with his son, uh, and he he pulls over, and they they it's it, you know it's one of the the key flashbacks in the in right. the film as we we finish the story that we have been learning in just little bits, and the music there is just fantastic as it moves from the the score into La Mer, back into uh, the score. Uh, mm-hmm. Just gorgeous. Yeah, it's great stuff. And yeah. and like, and all the ways, like uh, another moment that always strikes me is when he's they park him in his wheelchair in front of that uh, beautiful statue of the princess. Uh, and I can't remember what her story is, but somehow tied to that building in history. And he, he kind of fantasizes that the princess kind of comes up behind him. She commands him to speak. And so he stands and he starts kissing her. And you get this beautiful swell of music. And it's this beautiful scene. And then all of a sudden, it, it just cuts drastically to silence back to him sitting in his chair because the, uh, the nurse has come up to wheel him away. Right. You know, he's, he's stuck in this situation where he can't say, no, 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 not yet. He just has to go wherever they take him. And it's a great way to define that. You have this lush moment and the music is swelling, cut right to just dead silence as they pull him away. I mean, it's it's great the way all that plays out. Let's rank it. Yes, let's do it. Uh, so back over to FlickChart, everybody. Head over to FlickChart.com uh, slash the next reel. And you can uh, you can see where we stand on all these uh, all these films that we've been talking about, and and um, uh, grab our our top ten list, top hundred list, see our bottom ten list. You'll you'll love that. Add that to your weekend watch list, uh, and join us in the conversation. Make sure you like us over there, and uh, or whatever the verb of flick chart is, flick us, <laughs> flick us at flick chart. <laughs> <laughs> and uh be my flick be my <laughs> and uh and you can you can join us in our um uh, ranking festivities yes here we go Let's do the it. diving bell and the butterfly or inside man now i i'm curious how you're going to go throughout this because i mean i think the film I, I think we both agree it's a it's a masterful film however it's not something you've already said that you're going to ever really probably watch again I'm I'm deeply torn on this because usually we you know usually we talk about it as if you know it's the film we're going to watch again right yeah I mean that's how we've been doing this all these years right and I feel like that would be doing this film a disservice uh, yeah I I well and see that's the the interesting nature of flick chart is sometimes it's like I feel like I have to rank it because it's one I would watch more and sometimes I feel like well I just can't do that because this is clearly the better film. I have to rank it higher than that, at least. Yeah, I mean, for example, in this one, I would rank, I would rank, uh, uh, diving bell, the diving butterfly. bell. Yeah, good. Few, okay. The diving bell and the butterfly, or the bank job. 
I likewise would have to go with the diving bell. Yeah, and the butterfly. I diving bell and butterfly. Uh, or the sting. Now, <laughs> yeah, no, now this one's now genuinely difficult. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to say the sting on this one. I, I'm going to have to say the sting too, because yeah. I mean, come on, it's the sting. It's the sting. And and then we've got the French Connection. It's like, oh, geez. Seriously, that's the next one. That's the next one. French Connection. It's got to be French Connection. Don't mess with Popeye. This this is a good one for you because I know, uh, and it's two autobiograph or biographical stories: The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, or Moneyball. Moneyball, Moneyball. Why is that even interesting? You know how I love Moneyball. I know. I, I know. I know you do. I would go diving bell on this one. But how much because would you go? I would totally Come on. go. Bell. I would a hundred percent go. The artistry in the making of this film. I mean, Moneyball. Don't get me wrong. Is an amazingly powerful story. But it's you know, look at how the film was made. I mean, it's it's you know, it is an effective film. The Diving Bell of the Butterfly is sheer artistry. Agree to disagree. <laughs> um, let me see here. Because um, <laughs> here's the thing. I, uh, you know, I'm with you. I love, I, I just, I get it. I, I, I get it. But I deeply, deeply love uh, Moneyball. And I've, I have... Uh, I find the way that story comes together and the way uh, the the sort of subtlety with which Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill play the, their their characters in bringing a, a baseball story that is approaching baseball in a way that it, that no other film has has achieved for me. Um, I, I find that really terrific. Um, so I'm I'm looking at the, the flick chart. I'm trying to I'm trying to see what's going to come next. Because <laughs> I want to know if I should give uh, give this. I should continue to fight. Uh, all right, uh, all right. I'm going to give it to you on for art's sake. <laughs> for but art's just sake. know that I this you I have we we've we've swapped a marker. <laughs> uh Oh, I know. The Diving Bell, the Butterfly, or Being John Malkovich? <laughs> this is actually really hard. I'm interested <laughs> in where you go with this. This is hard. This is really hard. Because I think Being John Malkovich is equally just a unique piece of cinema. Hmm. Uh, I, I think at the end of the day, I would still go Diving Bell. Really? Yeah, because uh, just because of the the feeling I, I have at the end of it, I just feel so uplifted at the end of Diving Bell, and because of the Max von Sydow uh, phone conversation scene. I mean, I definitely give you Diving Bell. This I'm just deeply surprised that you didn't. I know. I this is because Malkovich is kind of your thing. I, I I like those movies. What can I say? The Diving Bell and the Butterfly or Prisoners? Diving Bell and the Butterfly. It's got to be Diving Bell. There you go. All right, there you go. Number twenty three. Right below French Connection. <laughs> uh, wow. That's a good spot. Good, 23 out of 122. Yeah, that's not bad. That's pretty good. That is bad. pretty good. Okay, where do we go? Uh, we're still in our foreign films oh, uh, and series. What? Oh, By the way. Yeah? The album is called By the Way. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what? Uh, uh, where do we go from here? 
Uh, next, we're uh, heading on over to Germany, and we're going to watch Run Lola Run. Mm. Which, uh, Lola Rent. Lola Rent. I do love this movie. I do too. I haven't seen it in a while, so this, I'm excited to watch it again. This one's easier to watch for me. <laughs> There's no eyelids being claustrophobic. Not quite yes. claustrophobic. I'm very excited to watch this film. Uh, excellent. So this will. Uh, this is. This is the. Uh, is this the the apex, the pinnacle of our? Um, Lola will be yes. Yeah, Lola, uh, and then uh, it's all downhill from there. Yes, it is. Although we've got a a, a very hefty movie <laughs> toward the end. Yeah, talk about that he running is, time. That's right. He, he's a bit of a monster. <laughs> I I started it already because I think it's going to take me a week to get through it. So, uh, very, looking forward to that. Uh, any other news for the people? I, I don't think so. I think, I we're, think good. we're good. Yeah, let's be done with this thing. All right, I can finally get off of these two chairs, man. I tell you. Oh yeah, you totally Van Damme those chairs. I did. I did. But I held it. You held it. I'm a real man. I didn't hear any any cracking or (laughs) ripping. And I'm not talking like this. I got to go to bed.